Amen. Thank you, you too. That was beautiful. All right, if you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to uh, turn to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. I want you to turn to chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. For those of you at home, um, it will should be on the screen for you to follow along here in just a minute. Uh, if not, find your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 and 9 is what we're going to be reading this morning. So for those of you that here in the building, would you stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord this morning? Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, shares these two verses that I want to uh, share with you this morning. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you do both have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the Lord of peace shall be with you. Father, we ask that you would take the, the reading of your word and that you would bless it unto the hearer. And now, Father, I pray that you would speak to me and through me, Lord. Use me this morning as I preach your word this morning. I pray that you would take the word of God and that you would speak unto our hearts, that you would challenge us, O Lord, and that because you are here, O Lord, uh, our spirit is in tune with you and we are hearing from you today, not from me. Lord, so speak now, we pray so that we might hear, and then as the Apostle Paul said in verse 9, that we might go and do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want to begin a, a new little mini-series that the Lord has been speaking to my heart the last several months about, and, and I've just been trying to figure out when we might do it. I want to share with you uh, a, a series of messages on the topic... Uh, don't check your brain at the door. All right, now listen to me. Uh, too many believers are checking their brain at the door, thinking that when they come to church, they got to just accept whatever and, and go with whatever. It's time that we recognize that God is calling us to an understanding to make sure that we use that which He has given unto us. So let me just begin by, by sharing with you why I think this is so important. Uh, I want to look at the, what the Bible says to us about how that you and I as Christians should be setting the narrative for our society instead of following the narrative that is coming from our world. Now let me just say that again for those of you that were nodding off just a little bit. I think it's time that we as the church recognize that God has called the Christians all the way from the beginning to set the narrative for how the culture around them lives instead of blindly following the narrative of the culture of the world that is there. And we have for so long, we have advocated our narrative over to the things of the world. And it's time that we start using the brain that God has placed within us for the things of God. All right. As I see it, far too many Christians are soft targets for the ebb and flows of cultural narrative and for much in, un, or misinformation. Uh, being a Christian in today's context requires us to have certain convictions and courage 
so that uh, we're not just cultural Christians. It's time that we recognize that God has not called us just to say we're Christians, but to live as Christians. And therefore, we need to stop following the cultural Christianity and start following the biblical Christianity. Christianity is not hostile to education. In fact, it is absolutely the opposite. It is very much in tune with education. Um, There is a body of truth that is um, the Christian faith that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. People who have thought deeply about it and who have led to great Christian thinkers that have become the foundation through which we address many of the issues that we face even today, such as the liberal arts, humanity, politics, philosophy, the arts, social science, natural science, media, journalism, music, and many more across the whole spectrum of society. Unfortunately, there is a sense in which people think that Christianity is a faith uh, that is very anti-intelligent, somewhat mindless, and totally experiential in its approach. The fact is that the Christian faith has produced some of the greatest thinkers that we have had in the last 2,000 years. We believe that all knowledge, truth, and understanding finds its source in God Yet, this is not always reflected in our day-to-day reality as Christian living. So how do we think Christianity? How do we think Christianity? Does it involve thinking exclusively about Christian products? It's not about just the fact that all I listen to is Christian music. All I listen or watch is Christian shows. It's not about all I listen to is Christian people. It's not about Christian products. It's much more deeper than that. It is learning to think about everything from a perspective that is constrained by the revealed truth of God's holy word. And the only way that that's going to happen, church, is if we are spending time in God's word in a world that asserts what truth what's truth for you might not be truth for me we must train our minds through habitual focus on God's revelation of himself through his creation of this world now he has given us both the word and as he showed us this morning a world that speaks to us It shakes at our very foundation. Alright? So He has given us the Word of God to be a lamp under our feet, a light under our path. And He's given us a world and a world system that speaks to us about how we should and should not live. Now, a couple of things that I want to share with you. Within those couple of things, I want to give you three truths. First of all, in verse 8, I want you to see that we have a call from Paul. And that call is a call to think. For those of you that think that that uh, you've taken on Christian faith and uh, you've checked your brain at the door, and listen, society says that about us. 
That being a Christian, you have to check your brain at the door. You can't be a logical thinker because if you were a logical thinker, you would never accept faith. Now, I've got some news for you. That's not true at all. But actually just the opposite, and we're going to look at some of that this morning. We're not going to dive in as deep as we're going to in, in another sermon, but we're going to begin there. Now, it's interesting that Paul, in verse 8, has no contemporary concern about being too direct. Now today, um, we're told, don't be too direct. Don't say what you mean. Dance around what you're trying to say because you don't want to offend anybody. Paul did not do that. And my friends, it's time that we as the church no longer do that. It's time we speak God's word for what God's word is saying. So Paul had no contemporary concern for being direct. I find it interesting that when people go to the world's counselors today and they ask the question, well, counselor, what do you think I should do? And do you know what the response of those counselors are? Well, what do you think you should do? Listen, dude, I'm paying you 60 bucks an hour to tell me what I should do. Don't give me that stent. Don't tell me to answer my own question. Give me an answer. The Bible gives us an answer. Listen, we live in a society today that does not like to be told what to do. We live in a time that, that people do not want you to tell them what they should do. They don't want you to tell them what they should think. They don't want you to tell them how they should think. Paul violates it all. In every letter that Paul writes, total politically incorrect according to our standards today. Listen. If you don't believe me, just read Paul's writings in the New Testament. Philippians, Corinthians, um, and Colossians, uh, Titus, all of them. Paul doesn't monkey around. He tells them what they need to listen. What he does is he sends them letters and he tells them, let me tell you what to do. And then he says, and let me tell you what to think. And then if that's not enough, he says, then let me tell you how to do what I told you to do. And then let me tell you how to think what I told you to think. In other words, it is a total indoctrination into the right things instead of the wrong things. And being indoctrinated to reveal God's truth through his word. We learn that to, to become uh, one of the greatest and freest thinkers, it is an illusion to believe that whatever you want to, uh, and have, what, in order to have an open mind, you have to allow every notion to, to flow through. It's actually not that way at all. As a matter of fact, that leads to closed-mindedness and the possibility uh, of failing to discover some of the greatest things. But when we, when we recognize how God shows us it, it opens our minds to new possibilities and new discoveries of God's truth. Paul understands that. So uh, he gives them a list of six qualities in verse 8. I don't have time to go over them all today. I'm going to actually just look at one today. But I wanted you to see this. I want you to go back and I want you to look at verse 8. 
because there's something I want you to see. Now, think about this. As it seems to me that as Paul begins his list, Paul could have spent the entire day saying, and think upon this good thing and think upon that. He could have made a list of 60 or 70 or more things, but he gives us six. And then what Paul does, as Paul does, is he says, listen, we don't have time to go on to all the things that you really should be thinking about, so I'm going to give you a bucket to put them all in. I'm going to give you something that, at the end, a catch-all bucket, so that you can have it. Look at the last part of that verse. Here's where he gives us a catch-all to end verse 8. He says, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think on those things. He says, no matter what it is, if it's praiseworthy, if it's excellent in its source, then think upon those things. The call that we see from Paul is a call to think, to use our brain, to think about the things in which the Word of God speaks about. Now, I'm going to speak to those of you that are school teachers, seeing how we're getting ready to go back to school. Now, I want to speak to you as school teachers because you know uh, what the challenge that is before you. Um, you're not at the point of getting them to think about certain things. You're just at the point of getting them to think at all. All right? They've had all summer off. They were at the end of last year, at that last couple of months, and it was, you know, so every school teacher, I'm sure, is saying, I don't want them to think about certain things. I just want them to kickstart their brain. All right? So here's probably what every teacher is going to say on opening day. Uh, they're probably going to say something to the point of this. Now, class, let's try and use our minds this morning. Let's do something radically different. Use our brain. Church, I speak to you this morning. Let's try doing something radically different this morning. Let's try using our minds. Let's try recognizing that God gave us a brain to think about the things of God so that we can then have the deep things of God. It's time for us to recognize that God has given us a brain and a mind to use so that we can think that way as well. I suggest to you that in the Christian church today that has grown very fond of cliches and very fond of talking about how it feels about everything to the call that there is a call for the church to think. Think for yourself. Think according to the things of God. Make up your mind to follow God. Listen, my friends, I said at the very beginning, in our society today, it's going to take two things. It's going to take conviction. And what is a conviction? It is an idea that we say is based upon God's Word that I cannot change. That's a conviction. i got to do it because it does not change. And then the second thing it's going to take from us as Christians is courage to go out and live it. To do it. So I'm challenging you this morning as Paul says to us, there is a call upon all of our lives to think. Now, Paul uses a very strong word here in the Greek, logizomai, which means to bring about all of your faculties to bear upon certain things. So Paul is saying, use all of your mind in these areas. So then how do we think Christianity? I'm glad you asked. Now I want to give you three things this morning 
under that subject matter. How do we think Christianity? It's not about Christian products. It's about a way of thinking. First of all, I want you to see that all truth is God's truth. Can I say that again? All truth is God's truth. Now listen, the Bible says, Jesus said, Satan is a what? Liar. Liar. Exactly. God speaks the truth. Satan lies. So all truth comes from God. Never comes from Satan. Now, Professor Arthur Holmes, a longtime professor of philosophy and English literature at Wheaton College, made an important point that Christian faith and truth go hand in hand. Christian faith is not and should not be in conflict with truth. The God of Christian faith is a God of truth. Can I get an amen? He's not a God of error or of falsehood. That's Satan. We humans are fallible creatures who must learn uh, and must be taught. We learn from God what He has revealed in His Word and through the world. Each helps us to understand the other better. Just as assuredly as we do not possess all there is to know with respect to the world, we do not know all there is to know with respect to the Word of God. Let me give you the words of the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. Not that I have obtained already, saying I've studied these many, many years. I have dove into the depths of the Word of God. I have been in the presence of God, but yet I do not have it all. I don't have it all. We can study and study and study, but we'll never know it all. But we must we must put our brains to work. We must study. We must study with an open, honest mind. My friends, education is vital. It's vital to us to live in our society. It's vital for us to teach the Word of God. Do you educate yourself? Wait a minute before you answer that. Let me finish the question. Do you educate yourself in the things of God? Are you spending time in the Word of God? How much time compared to everything else that you do do you spend time in the Word of God? Something is educating you all the time. The question is, which is educating you more? Now, the first thing on this list that Paul gives us to think about is truth. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, think about this. Now, that immediately poses a problem, doesn't it, in our day today? In an earlier generation, at some point in our history as Americans, it could have been said, whatever is true could have been stated, acknowledged, and we might have even moved on from there as in just accepting it. But not today. Not today at all. As a matter of fact, if we say whatever is true, we hear the voice of Pilate from the first century repeating that famous question, yeah, but what is truth? And today that question has, has grown in volume and in people to the fact that you go to any university or college these days, even those that call themselves Christians and I guarantee you're going to hear this question. Yeah, so what is truth? 
The reality is that we have come as a society to question everything, even God, as truth. You see, the problem is that we have traded in truth for relativism. Relativism, which is uh, what we are dealing with in our society today, claims that we can think, what we think is knowledge. What we think is a firm grip of truth and reality is really only an opinion. Relativism is a problem that is causing truth to be skewed. So that leads me to my next point. Faith is not stupid. Let me say it again. As much as there are liberal professors and people telling us all the time, if you believe in faith, you're stupid. I'm telling you, faith is not stupid. Faith and the mind are not at odds with one another. Faith is not believing nonsense. Faith is not embracing unreasonable logic. In short, faith is not stupid. Some people seem to have faith in faith. Now let me give you an example. Dawkins and other atheists have in fact pointed out that there are those who have faith in faith. Now let me point out the fact that if you've listened to any of their ideologies, you would see that it takes more faith to believe in what they believe in than what we believe in. Okay? So yes, they have faith in faith, but not in truth. Faith is intellect, it is, it is educated, it is learned, it is a hungering for understanding. A healthy faith is a seeking faith. A healthy faith is not satisfied to be ignorant, to be naive, to remain in the dark, or to pass on misinformation. A faith that is, that is growing, that is active, a faith that is in God, always seeks the deep things of God. Many Christians perceive a conflict between what we call reason, intellect, and faith. On the one hand, God tells us to reason. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, let us reason together. We're, we are to have a good reason for what we believe and always be ready to give an answer for what we believe in, Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. So we accept to show unbelievers that our belief in Scripture is reasonable, justified, logical, and by the way, it is defensible. We can defend the Scripture. The Bible makes sense, my friends, when we look at it with a mind that thinks. On the other hand, we are supposed to have faith, the Bible says. But is that a blind faith that doesn't think that it just follows anything? No, that's the problem today. The problem is that we are walking in a blind faith. We're following the narrative of the world instead of the narrative of the word. Because we are walking in blind faith. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to trust God. And not to lean on our own understanding. Proverbs 3 and 5. The Bible also tells us that the just shall live by faith, not by foolishness, in Romans 1.17. It seems that we are supposed to trust God regardless of whether His Word makes sense to us in our own understanding, and that is true. This apparent conflict troubles many people. 
But here's what it stems from. It stems from a, mi a critical misconception about the meaning of both faith and reason. When both terms are properly defined in their biblical context, any apparent context seems to disappear. It's kind of like the, the, the idea that people say, well, they can't believe in the creation. But yet they can't explain where the missing link is. They can't explain where the, the problems with evolution is. You see, the problem isn't the fact that God doesn't make sense. It's that we haven't dug in enough for it to make sense. A critical misconception. Yes, we're properly to have a good reason for what we believe, but we're also to have faith in the one in which we believe in. In fact, without the latter, we can never have the former. If we don't have faith in the one who is the creator, we'll never have an explanation for what's around us. Now, I'm so glad this morning that the Lord shook the earth around us because it says to me, that here's what God is saying. I want you to know that you can't understand why the world shakes unless you understand what the Scripture says, that the Scripture says, because of the sinfulness of this world, the earth is moaning and groaning and shaking. It comes not from science, my friend. It comes from God. And therefore, it is an intellectual reasoning that we have faith in God because the things of the world show us God. As many people have misunderstood their understanding of faith, they also misunderstand reason. Reason is a tool that God has given us to allow us to draw conclusions and inferences from other information, such as the information that we have been given from His Word and from the world. Josh and I were talking Friday as I was telling him what I was getting ready to preach on and he said, you know, Christopher Columbus was told don't sail past the horizon. You're going to fall off the earth. But Christopher Columbus said, but God said the earth was created in a spear, not a box. And so he charged ahead. You see, the reality is we get our understanding not from the things of the world alone, but from the Word of God. Reason is an essential part of all of our Christianity. And God calls us to reason. Come reason together, Isaiah says. And the Apostle Paul did that in Acts 17, and we're going to look at that sermon, uh, um, the sermon on Mars Hill, and how Paul shares with us how he reasoned with the philosophers. Now the third thing I want you to see this morning, the third truth, is ideas are powerful. Ideas are powerful, my friends. Don't ever let anybody tell you that what you think is not a powerful tool. Jeremiah Johnson, in which I got a lot of my information from today, uh, um, in his book, Unimaginable, What Our World Would Be Like Without Christianity. In several chapters, he describes the horror that outlooks or overtook the world in the 20th century with anti-Christian and anti-God overview or worldviews dominating the society and political landscape of several countries 
when the philosophers of men like uh, uh, Friedrich uh, Nietzsche and Karl Marx inspired men like Adolf Hitler and, and Joseph uh, Stalin embracing a new world order where they declared God was no longer God, he was dead, and therefore they erased man's humanity as well. Why do you think Hitler had no problem killing millions of people? Because he just said they weren't human anymore. They were just animals. Humans are now nothing more than two-legged animals, no longer made in the image of God. Humanity now could be treated like animals. Unwanted humans are rounded up and enslaved. Millions were murdered. I mentioned the brutality only to underscore the points how thoughts matter. How truth revealed in our ideas or untruths matters. A worldview is not a little consequence. Today, our society is in the midst of two great struggles between two competing and often dramatically opposing worldviews. One worldview is a biblical worldview. That's where we believe and we as Christians should be believing that this book sets the standard for what we should believe about how the world should operate. A biblical worldview that biblical worldview once dominated the western part of the world for centuries. However, in the last two centuries, it has made inroads into the east. And now, that worldview is called Christianity. In a worldview that says the world was made by an intelligent, loving creator... In a worldview that offers the best explanation for the ongoing astonishing discoveries that science continues to make every day. By the way, Steve Johnson is going to have a new experimental treatment coming up very soon. Dennis Pierce is having a new experimental treatment tomorrow morning. Why? Not because science has figured it out, because God is revealing to science that which they do not know. The worldview affirms that humanity is made in the image of a God who loves us, and therefore human life is precious, and it has purpose, and it has a destiny. But if you haven't noticed, let me just clarify. The biblical worldview in which we should be living is being pushed aside by extremely increasingly hostile human ideologies by an alternative worldview, a worldview that says there is no God and that we as humans have no purpose and that we are nothing more than a cosmic accident, that we have no future, that we have no destiny, that our future ultimately is oblivion, this is the philosophy of what is called nothingness. They affirm that there is no ultimate truth, there is no right nor wrong, there is no morals, there is no God, that their humans are, are not especially important, that we're no more than smart two-legged animals, and someday the human race will simply grow extinct and it will end game over. How sad is that? I want you to listen to this next video 
of this professor from uh, a re renowned university share with you what our country and world would Sometime. look like without God. Go ahead. Some time ago, I had, I had a, conversation a conversation with a Marxist, Marxist economist, economist from China. China. He, was he was coming to the to end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston, Boston. but I asked I him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does. But rather, democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in the past, most Americans attended a church or synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern of harbored inside that his religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans. What will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. The idea is that the biblical worldview is so important. And when we are, allow it to slip away, we allow the world's view to overtake. The abolishment of the church, the... the the, the shrinking of, uh, of folks who are sitting under the tutelage of God's word. Our society is not worth living in. Can you imagine a worldview more dismal than a worldview without God in it? What hope do they have? None. It's no wonder that even today our suicide rate is on the rise. Many people, including children, simply have no hope. Because they're listening to a worldview instead of a biblical worldview. There's no hope because they have embraced the things of this world, the nothingnessless, instead of the somethingness that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope that we have that when this life is over, we have been offered a home in heaven. Nothing worse than nothingless. So let me just give you the second point and I'll close. Call to action. Look at verse 9. In Paul's writing here in verse 9, he says, Those things which you have both learned, mind, and received, and heard, and seen in me. If you write in your Bible, I want you to underline this word, do. God is saying to us, that which you have learned and heard and seen, you had better do. It's time for us to put to action that which we have been told. Paul writing in, in Romans chapter 12, one of my um, most challenging verses of Scripture in verse 2. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world is constantly putting in its input. But it's time for us to allow our minds to be transformed by the renewing of the Word of God. And then do it. Go live it. Let others see it. Don't just speak it. Live it. Jesus offers us a better way than what the world offers. We need to think about it, and then we need to do it. We have to share the truth because He, Jesus, the truth, is the only thing that sets us free. So I want to invite you to make Christ your Lord and Savior this morning simply by repenting of your sins and calling on Him for forgiveness so that you might receive the gift of eternal life. If you believe that He died and He rose again and that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sin and the power of the resurrection can keep you and hold you until He resurrects you to new life, then you are on your way to being a follower of Christ. The only thing holding you back is the acknowledgement that you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and need Him as your Savior. So this morning, I ask you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please contact us. I hope they'll put on the screen there for you our contact information for those of you that are at home. For those of you that are here, I'm going to do something we haven't done much in the last few months because of this COVID thing, and I think it's time that we do what God's called us to do, and that's to have an altar call. It's time that we go back to doing what God has called us to do. It's time for us to call the lost to be saved and the saved to stand up for Jesus.